I would like to uh, read just six verses of First uh, John chapter 5. It's a kind of a continuation of the message that I brought last time uh, from the previous chapter. And uh, uh, here the uh, Apostle John is reminding us, uh, it's a message that actually hopefully will prepare our hearts for partaking of the Lord's Supper with a, with a better reflection and a better perspective of what it is all about. But he is reminding us here uh, of the fact that uh, we have an obligation as those who benefit from the grace of God to, to actually be lovers of God and lovers of our fellow believers. So this is what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God has overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So far God's word, may he bless it to our hearts. Let's just pause in prayer. Father God, as we reflect upon this truth that the Apostle John shared with his fellow believers to encourage them towards holy living, I pray, Father, that by your grace these words would penetrate our hearts, that they would embed themselves in our consciousness in such a way that from this day forward we would not only be transformed and changed people because of the grace of God, but that this would be a perpetual experience of growth in the faith and in obedience to what it is you have commanded us to do. So, Father, prepare our hearts this morning for partaking of the Lord's Supper as something that is not just an empty ritual, but something that has great meaning to us because it exemplifies as a, an object lesson of what it cost Jesus to gain our salvation. So bless us, Father, to that end. And may your Holy Spirit guide and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which is something we as a church do always the second Sunday of each month, and on the inside flap of your bulletin, there is a sideline, sidebar that tells you how we celebrate and why we celebrate because we are fully aware of the fact that not all Christian churches do it the same way. Uh, not all churches do it as frequently as that. Uh, when I was a very young uh, upstart pastor, I was working alongside uh, some people in the community who were primarily a missionary organization, and they as an organization celebrated the Lord's Supper only once a year. And they would bring all their missionaries back in from the fields. This was up in Red Lake, Ontario, northwestern Ontario. And they would bring all of their uh, people together. And, and then they would have a sort of a Bible conference. And then 
uh, in conclusion, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, as co-workers. Interesting thing was they, they practiced what was called closed communion, which means only people who were members in good standing of their congregation were allowed to participate. So one time they actually had me speaking at their Bible conference about the significance of the Lord's Supper. But then when they dispensed the Lord's Supper, I wasn't allowed to partake, which seems a little strange, doesn't it? All right, they actually trusted me to preach the word, but they didn't include me in in the actual celebration. Uh, and, and, And I was not offended. I understood where they were coming from. But we as a church practice what is called open communion, which means that anyone who has a right relationship with Jesus, regardless of denominational background or stripe, is welcome. But we balance that by the fact that we also believe that someone who is partaking of the Lord's Supper has a personal responsibility to examine his or her own heart to make sure that they're in right relationship with God because in that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we often read at the Lord's Supper, Paul makes it very clear that if we eat and drink unworthily, that is, if we're not prepared to recognize what this is all about, then we actually eat and drink damnation to ourselves. Uh, There's judgment, God's judgment, on people who fail to recognize what this is all about. And so that's why we want to reflect on that this morning. In fact, our personal responsibility at communion time is well expressed in what Jesus taught his own disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, and you'll see that on the screen behind me, where Jesus said to his disciples, and remember this is still within the Old Testament kind of worship because this is a transitional time, and so they were still going to the temple, they were still celebrating Uh, through offerings and and sacrifices like in the Old Testament was uh, prescribed. So he says, so if you are offering your gift on the altar and there at the altar you remember that your brother or sister, your fellow believer, has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the, the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying here is before we offer God any kind of worship, and whether that is worship that we offer through song, whether that is worship we offer uh, through prayer, whether that is worship uh, through our offering, because our offerings are an act of worship. It's recognizing our dependence upon God It helps us to understand that all I have and all that I am is only by his grace. Not something, I'm not smart enough to run my own life, even though there's a human tendency to want to do that. But recognizing that all that I have belongs to him and I'm merely a steward of what he has entrusted to me. And a portion of that needs to be given back in recognition, in honoring God, with our first fruits, with our offerings, uh, in order to uh, honor and respect his place in our lives. And so when you do that, and I think it has application to the communion uh, table as well, when you come to worship God through communion and 
the Spirit of God tells you, in your mind, there's someone in the church, there's a brother or sister that you have offended, or that has offended you, but it's never been made right. If you remember that, ideally, go first and be reconciled to that person, because how can we be in right relationship with God if we're not in right relationship with each other? The whole emphasis on union in the church is not only so that there's no hiccup and no problems to solve. No, it's because as people of God, how we treat each other, Pastor Doug Peoples used to say that. Some of you remember that. How we treat each other is how we treat Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we need to respect that and we need to Act accordingly. And so he says, when you remember that, go be reconciled. Now, it's not always practical because if, if, if you would come to the communion table and you, you have the bread in your hand and the Spirit of God reminds you, by the time you seek out whoever, and they may not even be here at, at the moment, they may be at home this morning, it was awful cold and some people didn't make it here, but uh, it wouldn't be practical to go and be reconciled and then come back because by that time the service is over and you can't participate. So you need to at least in your heart say, Lord, I'm going to take care of that. Today I will seek to be reconciled to my brother or sister because it is essential in the household of God that we live in harmony, just like it's no fun to be in a family where everybody is mad at everybody else. Um, we've had, uh, in the past, we've had some neighbors that... Uh, you know, uh, the only reason we knew they were there because they did a lot of yelling and screaming. And uh, you can only assume that this was not a happy occasion. So uh, when we think in terms of this, let's go to what John uh, in First John chapter 5 is, is trying to help us understand because even though he's not talking about the communion, he is inferring something that helps us uh, to reflect on here at, at the Lord's uh, table. Because uh, what he is saying here to us in First uh, John chapter 5 is that uh, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful opportunity for us to reflect and to be reminded of the fact that you and I have a spiritual obligation to love one another. It doesn't say to like each other. It says to love one another. If we love the Father, we must also love all of his children. It's the inference here very, very clearly in this passage. In the previous chapter, and we talked about that last time, the Apostle John had stated that the sign of being born of God, being born again, uh, is the fact that we have love for God and love for our fellow believers. And here he seems to be um, adding another mark. Not only do we love God and love uh, our fellow believers, but we also need to have a proper understanding, a proper Christology, a proper understanding of who Jesus is and what is implied in what we celebrate at the Lord's table. Because... Uh, if we uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who would come on behalf of the Father to reconcile a fallen world to a holy God, 
There's a great gulf between who we are in the flesh and who our Heavenly Father is and wants to be in our lives. And the only one who was able to bridge that gap was Jesus through his death on the cross. That's, that's the implication here uh, because he goes on to say that loving uh, God and loving our fellow believers is not about feelings. It's about obedience. The Lord's Supper reminds us that this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now, when he talks about loving God and carrying out his commands, in the previous chapter he, he had told us that we prove God, uh, that we love God by loving our brothers. But here he's saying that actually he turns the equation around. He says we, as, as, as God's children... Um, we love other believers, and we do that in carrying out the commands that he has given us. Now, as soon as we talk about commandments, some minds will click into, oh, okay, he's probably talking about the Ten Commandments, or he's probably talking about the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, uh, Exodus, etc., cetera, uh, which were considered to the books of Moses, were really the very foundation of Jewish law and practice. And in fact, before a child was admitted to the bar mitzvah, the graduation from, it's like a confirmation kind of ceremony in, in some Protestant churches, before they could do that, they had to memorize all of those laws, all of those prescriptions. And not only this, over the years, the rabbis had continued to spin out and spell out even more of that kind of uh, inter interpretation. And so the, they were very legalistic because they were trained that way. Uh, but that's not what John is talking about here because the law is not his focus. His, his focus here is, is about the love of God. His focus is about how do we live our Christian life in such a way that others will know and see that we have been with Jesus. And, uh, in fact, the word law does not appear at all in his, in his letter uh, in, in this case. And so when he says, and this is the commandment, he's referring back to what he had in mind earlier in the epistle. This is the commandment that he's talking about, to believe in the name of his son Jesus and to love one another as he commanded us. And we can reflect back on the Gospel of John. How many times in the Gospel of John does he talk about Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as the Father loves me and I love you. And so that was the command here he's talking about. It's the command to love one another. And he's talking about not just a merely general belief in God, but specifically belief in God as he was revealed through the person of Jesus Christ, as he was revealed through what happened on the cross, as he was revealed through the life and teaching and the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus brought. And, and that, that is what connects us again with the Lord's Supper and the celebration that we will have in just a few moments. Because uh, although ultimately the scope of God's love in sending his son was the entire world, nevertheless, he says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the whole world. First John chapter 2, verse 2, 
And it is in the fellowship of the church, in the community of God's people, that we best experience and learn to live out what God has provided for us in Jesus. And that is by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, which every believer has resident within himself from the moment of new conversion, of of new faith, new life in Christ. As I study the word of God, I do not see any scriptures that talk about freelance Christianity, the fact that you can be a believer and dangle out there by yourself. It always talks about koinonia. It always talks about fellowship, and that means both participating uh, by contributing as well as by receiving. And the whole idea why we have a church and what makes us unique among all other organizations in the world is that we have a bond of love in Christ. Not one of us, this preacher included, uh, is worthy of that. It's by the grace of God. But we have that for the purpose of perpetuating the love that Jesus demonstrated in his life and through his sacrifice. In fact, in verses 3 to 4, John tells us here, in fact, this is the love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our So by faith, we appropriate, we embrace all that God has offered us, and we share it with each other. That's the whole idea of small groups. That's the whole idea of discipling people. That's the whole idea of growing together. Our statement says that we're about, uh, you know, following, being followers of Jesus and making disciples who are followers together to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We need each other in this process. We can't do it by ourselves. In fact, the whole idea here is is love is not only about feelings, it's about obedience, and the victory that we have is ours because of what Jesus has done for us, and it is by faith that we live that out, and that means that we confess Jesus as Lord and we love one another in Christ. The final thing that the Lord's Supper clearly holds before our eyes is that not only uh, do we have victory, but we also understand the cost of our salvation. He says, who is it he that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and that includes why Jesus came, what it is he came to do for our, uh, on our behalf. And this is the one who came, he says, by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. Now, some commentators have struggled with this because they say that that's a difficult thing to understand. But, but it's really not rocket science. Uh, quite obviously, water refers to the baptism of Jesus, which was the initiation of his public life and ministry. You recall he came to the River Jordan where uh, John was baptizing people for repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. He had never committed a sin. He had never even thought about committing a sin. And yet he came and says, I want to be baptized. And John says, what? I should be baptized of you. You should be baptizing me instead of the other way around. And Jesus says, 
allow it to be so, because thus it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, if Jesus felt that though he had never sinned, he was never alienated from God, not until that final moment on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But up till then, there was perfect harmony between the Father and the Son. If he felt he needed to be baptized to demonstrate a dependence and relationship upon God, well, how much more do we need to be willing to be obedient to all that Jesus taught us and committed to us? So, figuring out that this is probably a reference to baptism is not too too difficult. But you know, in the time of John, there were a number of false teachers that had crept into the church, and they preached a different gospel. They had their own private interpretations. There were some who felt that Jesus began his ministry with baptism, and that in and of itself was sufficient for our salvation, and the cross should have never happened. They were in the same line of thinking of Peter, who says, Lord, don't let that happen to you. That's a horrible thought. And there were others who taught that Jesus only became God's son at the time of his baptism. Remember when John baptized him? And then there was a voice from heaven which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Some translations, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. So they they figured that's when he became the son of God, by baptism. But they also taught when he went to the cross, his divinity abandoned him. Because how could God die on the cross? So therefore, it was a limited humanity and a limited divinity that they taught. We don't know exactly which of these John is trying to address here, but he was dealing with false teachers, and he's trying to help them to understand that what we have is not through our own self-effort, but it is through the finished work of the cross of Calvary. So he emphasizes Jesus came by water, baptism, and the blood. And without question, the blood is a reference to his death on the cross. What John is trying to say, you need to understand when you believe about Jesus, he was not just a good teacher. He was not just a nice person. He was not just a friendly guy. He was the eternal son of God and included as part of his incarnation was the fact that he was going to die on the cross. Jesus came to this earth for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to die on behalf of a lost humanity because it was the only way God and sinners could be reconciled. That's what we believe. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to continue to remind ourselves of his broken body, his shed blood, because without that, you and I are and would be for all eternity lost sinners. But we can be lost sinners, saved by grace, transformed into people for whom the ugliness of sin is behind us, and we embrace and pursue the love that he has shed on our behalf. That's what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. That's why we go through this ceremony.
And I trust that as we take a moment of, of, of silent reflection and prayer before we partake, that you'll re- reflect on what does this mean to me? Where do I stand? What is my relationship to Jesus? Am I really fully trusting in him? Do I know for sure that if I were to die tonight or on the way home, that I would end up in heaven? None of us deserve to go there except for the shed blood of Christ, his broken body on that cross, his willingness to die for our sin.